first you've got to concentrate your mind and then you can quiet your mind, mm. right? And so when I say sit and do nothing, what I really mean is sit and just breathe. Hey, welcome to The Empire Show. My name is Bedros Koulian, and this is an inside look. Today, we have someone really awesome with us, retired Navy SEAL commander, Mr. Mark Devine. Welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, Bedros. Yes, sir. Good to see you, man. Likewise, yeah. thank you for coming out to HQ, oh, first of God. all. It's my pleasure. And, um, you, you know, San Diego and Chino Hills are probably an hour and a half apart, but depending on California traffic, mm -hmm. it could be four hours apart. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you making that, making that trek down here. Um, you and I met through a mutual friend, Shane, and uh, he introduced us because I needed some understanding into a situation <laughs> that took place during the project, and you were kind enough to ha have explained. To, to shed some understanding. Yes. It was a, it was a very, very unique. Yeah, we won't go there. Yeah, yeah, we won't go deep into that, but it was a very unique situation that only a small handful of people have had that experience, and I appreciate you uh, guiding me through that. But that said... Uh, just hit it off with you, man. And so, you know, I, so here's a guy, ladies and gentlemen, who I sent him steaks just as a thank you for spending time with me on the phone. He, he gets the steaks and then he responds with the text message. Am I coming to your house or are you coming to my house for us to have the steaks together? Keep in mind, I probably sent, no joke, about 600 steaks to 600 people over the last five years through DeBraga. Um, and no one's offered that. So I was like, dude, come on down. I'd rather, I'll, I'll eat the steaks with you. So it was a great experience. And yeah. uh, we had a lot of belly laughs. So, and then the corollary to that story is when I got home after our dinner, yeah. I was like, I'm going to order some more of these steaks. They're so darn delicious. And I walk onto the website and I'm like, holy <laughs> these things are expensive. They're not cheap. $120 a yeah, they're not. They're not cheap. So yeah, you got, you got good taste, man. Yeah, thanks, man. And Look, I don't, I'm not sponsored by DeBraga's. The show's not sponsored by DeBraga's. Should be, it should, it should be. be, yeah. So DeBraga's, if you're paying attention, hook yeah. me up with some uh, discounts. And or at hook least some... me up with a commission stakes. Right, exactly. And send this guy some commission stakes. But uh, that said, dude, you, you've, done, you've done so much. And, you know, from Seal Fit to your best-selling books. And the way, when I look at you and what Mark Devine has done with my outside eyes, you are a developer of humans, mm -hmm. of, of human performance, beyond leadership. And so I thought that would be a great place to start doing this deep dive. And like all people who develop humans, they first start by developing themselves. That's right. So what was the path that led you into the teams? Yeah, that's a great, great question. You know, kind of like you, Bedros, I, I think, um, I'm a great experimenter and I don't like to experiment on other people unless I've tried it myself. Sure. And so I started experimenting first with, you know, endurance sports and, you know, like, like long time in the wilderness using the, the terrain of my childhood, which is upstate New York. Yeah. And so I had 6,000 or 6 million acres in the Adirondack Park to play in. Wow. And so I was like, that's, I never heard of rucking before, but I used to go out with a backpack alone. Before rucking was rucking. Yeah, before rucking. Yeah. And this is when I was, you know, 16, 17 yeah. and come back, you know, 15 hours later, 
after having summoned a couple peaks and run down them and you know what I mean? Yeah. Dehydrated as heck and you know, like, okay, that's not gonna work. I need to bring some food along. <laughs> Next here. time food water. Right. Check. And and you know, if I'm gonna run down a mountain in these craggy, you know, Adirondack mountains, then I need to like wrap my knees and take care of my joints. And you know, so and I just love the experience of that endorphin rush. And also, most importantly, related to kind of me becoming a SEAL. What would happen to my mind when I pushed through all the resistance of all the pain and the suffering of, you know, moving really fast under load and all of a sudden just breaking through to that, that rarefied place. territory, yeah. right? Some of it's, you know, there's a biochemical aspect, there's an emotional aspect, and then there's this kind of spiritual aspect of it. Didn't know what that was, but it felt yeah. good. Total long flow state periods. Yeah, yeah. And then like I would get to some destination and peak and I'd look out over the Adirondacks and it's just stunningly beautiful and I'm sitting up there alone, you know, got my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I would drop into what I now call meditation. All this is happening in my 17 to, you know, like 20 year old period. During that time, I go to Colgate University, become a competitive swimmer, get into triathlon. So I was, you know, just really experimenting with yeah. all these different physical modalities, yeah. strength training and whatnot. Anyway, everything took a shift when I went to New York after college and um, started my first career as a certified public accountant. Oh, boy. Yeah. Exactly. How, do you, how do you go from, like, <laughs> summoning to, to sitting behind a desk, man? I always got to be careful because you never know how many wonderful CPAs are yeah, yeah, listening Great, great humans. Great humans. Yeah. Like, I, I kid you not, I would rather go back through SEAL training than try to sit for that darn CPA exam again. Sure. Oh, man. Like, what a pain. Did you pass the first time? It took me four tries. It did it? Okay. Four tries. Okay. I passed, well, New York, whatever. We could spend 20 minutes talking about this useless stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just curious. CPA exam excited. It took me I've four tries. I've heard it's hard. I know it's, nothing about it. I was just curious. I wasn't destined to be a CPA, but it was a great first career. You know, the whole idea was, I'm going to go back and run the family business someday. It's upstate New York. I was kind of groomed for that. That's what the divine boys do. It's multi-generational. Story, 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 story baked into me from birth. And so I'm following the little, I'm a good little drummer. Sure. You know, doing the stuff I'm supposed to do. Never really examining myself. Now, you would think that all those long hikes and all the time and flow that I'd be examining myself. No, I was just loving the experience. Okay, I was just about to ask that. Right? So it's one thing to be an athlete and to enjoy, or to be a business owner to you know, enjoy the, the thrill of the quest. It's another thing to do deep self-introspective work. They're both valuable. Mm -hmm. One's internally focused, the other's externally focused. So I'll get to, this, to where I'm going with this. So I'm in New York now, and um, I'm going to school part-time at night. I'm working full-time during the day for Coopers and Library, now PricewaterhouseCoopers. I get up early in the morning to go do my run, and then at lunchtime I go to the gym, I do my HIIT workout. This is in the 80s, yeah. you know, early, mid 80s. And then I had a two hour block of time between when they said, okay, check, you're done here at work, because we know you got school at 7.30 at NYU. And so I'm like, great, two hours, there's another training block, <laughs> right? Huh. So I gotta find something to fit in there. Sure. Didn't wanna go back to the gym, wasn't ready to take another run. I'm like, what am I gonna do? And one day I was walking by, uh, down 23rd Street, and I was living on 22nd, and I passed this 
second floor of this building, and I hear all this noise coming out, like screams and shouts, and I'm like, what the hell's going on up there? And I'm standing under this big flag, and I look up, and it's got a lotus flower on it, and it says, World Headquarters, Sato Karate. Had you done any kind of martial arts Never. previous to that? No. Ver no exposure to it okay. except for my freshman roommate at college who took up Shotokan karate, and that's a whole kind of cool story in itself. So I, I'm intrigued. I go upstairs, and I'm like, what is this? And there at the far end of the floor is this, you know, five foot seven Japanese guy built like a tank, right? And he's barking out orders, da, 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 da. And you're like, oh man, like that's the real deal. And then all of a sudden he cracks a joke and he starts laughing like a school kid, you know what I mean? <laughs> and everyone's cackling with him. And there's all these black belts, everyone from first degree to sixth degree black belts. Sure. From the tri-state area. I was like, this is wild, like who is this guy, you know? Sure. So I, I signed up on the spot. Well, it turns out Mr. Nakamura, Grandmaster, had started this style of karate. He was the head instructor for a really worldwide style called Kyokushinkai. Kyokushinkai, I can't even say it. Okay. The founder of that style named Masayama was famous for chopping the horn off of a charging bull with his hand. Oh, that's pretty hardcore. That's hardcore, right? Yeah. So this is real deal. Yeah. Nakamura was famous for the, the, Thai, um, the Thai kickboxers challenged the entire martial arts world in 63, said they're the preeminent martial art, come challenge us. And the only people to take them up were three Japanese, Nakamura being one of them, and two of them won, Nakamura and another guy. And they had like a ticker tape parade. Anyway, I could talk forever about this guy, my first true mentor. So. I join. It turns out that Nakamura is a Zen master. What is a Zen master? He's a, he's, he teaches Zen meditation, but he's a practitioner of Zen meditation. And he integrated Zen into this martial art. So we had a Zen class every Thursday night where we sat in meditation for an hour. And he taught you Zen. And then we, we would sit for about five minutes before and after every class. And then we would take these long weekend retreats at the Zen Mountain Monastery in Woodstock, New York. Now, mind you, Bedros, only a very, very small percentage of the students really took to the Zen. I was one of them and maybe 10 other black belts. And I was sure. a white belt because everyone was too busy or they didn't get it or it wasn't for them. And this is, again, in the I'm 80s, guessing you 80s. got it because you had already experienced something similar exactly. to it There was something on. about Zen that reminded me of the bliss that I experienced alone in the wilderness on these long endurance kind of events yeah. and sitting on top of the mountain. So I was like, this is, and I remember that experience. And so very quickly after starting Zen, I started to have those experiences again, but I'm just sitting there, not doing nothing. Right. And I was like, wow. And then, again, this is because I wasn't focused outward trying to get somewhere, and I'm just sitting. When all the dust started to settle in my mind, I started to experience things that were different that I never experienced as an athlete, never experienced out in the wilderness. Hmm. I experienced insights. I experienced like emotional releases. I experienced um, dread. I experienced what a, what a dread, dread that I was missing something important like the most important thing oh shoot right like yeah. i was on i was doing the wrong thing i was yeah. missing my calling oh shoot. you know this is like the dread that that people usually find after they've got the lamborghini and they've got right. the beautiful house and the beautiful wife and they wake up and they're 55 years old and they're like 
this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful yeah, yeah. How yeah. did I get here, right? So, <laughs> you, what, what do they call that? A, a midlife crisis? A midlife, I you had, had a midlife crisis in your 20s? 21, 22. <laughs> How do you handle that? Like, what do you do? Oh, well, scared of me because uh, yeah. I was investing so much on this path. And to change from that path, I had to kill my ego, but I also had to turn my back on my family. How was that experience? Because so many of our audience, so many people in general, our, our audience or not, they have been told and conditioned by family with the best of intentions. Of course. That, yeah. you know, whether the family business or go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. Like in the Armenian culture, it's, it's all about go be a doctor, go be a lawyer because that's sure. where money is. And, and yeah. at some point they realize that this was a miserable path. Right. So how do you break out of that? How do you tell your family this? It takes great courage, you know, for, and my, to be fair, Bedris, you know that as well as I do, not everyone does it, not everyone can most, do it. Most, most don't. Most don't, right. But I believe, unless that is your path, which it could very well be. Sure. Probably not, though, unless that's exactly your path, that if you don't do that, then you lead that life of quiet desperation mm. that Emerson talks about, right? And, uh, and Socrates said, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I was living an unexamined life until I sat down and slowed down and stilled my mind and started to ask better questions. Hmm. Like, if I'm experienced dread about this, if I, if I feel like that's not the right calling, and me as a CPA, kidding me? Or even being back in the family business, I look back now, I'm like, I'd be a tenth of the man I am today. Sure. I'd be living in quiet desperate. I'd probably be a raging alcoholic too. Sure, to cope. Yeah. <laughs> to cope, right, yeah. exactly. And so the, the answer to your question is, and this is kind of like a, an antidote to what's going on today, is to slow the F down, stop trying to do so much, and find time every day. This isn't a once in a while, oh, I'll find time you know, when I go on that retreat. Yeah. It's an everyday thing to find time and you don't have to call it meditation and you don't have to sit on a bench or, you know, in some sort of lotus position. You just sit in your chair and wait. For what? Wait for answers. Now, that's because everyone says, well, I, I can't meditate because I sit and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Okay, it's just don't worry about it. Just sit and let the thinking settle down. Now, there's a lot of tools I, know, I have now to, to shortcut that settling process. Box breathing is probably the biggest secret weapon we have. Can you explain that for a moment? Sure. Now, the reason this worked for me is because of my martial arts training. They, you know, Nakamura taught me that breathing, that breathing through your nose and breathing in certain patterns has an effect on your mind. And so when we sat in Zen meditation, he had a slower breathing down through the nose into these nice long loops. 10 count in, 10 count out. And later on, for my students who are Navy SEALs, I said, okay, we're going to shorten that up and we're going to add holds to it. Nakamura didn't do anything with that breath hold. Because what I noticed in experimenting with that, and then later on I learned through yoga, is that, you know, first you move the energy into your body and you energize when you inhale. And then you, when you exhale, you release toxin, you release emotional uh, energy, you dehydrate, you know, there's all sorts of things, but you also, you also relax. Hmm. So the inhale is energizing, the exhale is relaxing. The inhale hold is stimulating your mind, right? And so whatever thought is in there is going to get charged up, going to get a little brighter. 
Okay. And the exhale hold is probably your, your closest opportunity to face death because of the, all of a sudden I'm taking away my source of life force. And it's the time or the moment because of that, that your mind is the most still because it's like going, wait, what's happening here? And so you have a lot going on here. We don't have time to get into the physiology, right. breathing and all right. that. But so what I do is I start, I started doing this practice where all I did was this pattern of breathing where I'd inhale for five counts, hold my breath for five counts, exhale for five counts, hold my breath for five counts. Box. Box pattern. Got it. And then just discreetly hook my mind onto that. And I learned that through Zen training because that's basically, you know, and Zen is hard for a lot of people because what they say in this practice and what box breathing does when you do it this way is you, you're going to concentrate on just that, just that. But then your mind is going to wander and you're going to split your attention or you're going to just forget about that and you're going to go all over here and, you know, off to the races again. Yeah. But the more you practice, the more you come back to that breath, the longer you can hold your attention on just that and the less frequent your mind will then spin off into some drama, right? And the quicker you can bring it back to hook it back to the breath. And so these are really important skills. First, concentration. Attention control on one thing, being able to concentrate on it for longer and longer period of times, which builds mind power. It's kind of like, you know, barbell. Sure. Concentration is barbell training for your brain because you build mind power, the ability to focus on one thing for a long period of time and to penetrate it deeply without distraction. You know, it's funny you say something about concentration and now more than ever in history, I think we've lost the ability For to sure. focus and concentrate. We're, we're all over the place. We're getting our dings yeah. and our and Exactly. We're conditioned by all these devices. Uh, yesterday, you know the TV show Homeland? Mm -hmm. familiar with that? Oh, I used to love that. Uh, yeah. So I, I think the first season was in 2011. So when I watched it with the wife back in the day when my kids were small, <laughs> it was one of those things where, wow, great show. We love it. We're going to keep watching it. Now, here we are 2020 or 2021, and we recently watched um, Game of Thrones with our kids now that they're 15 and 13, and we fast-forwarded through all the nudity. That's a whole funny story I'll tell you when we're done with this. It was a shit show. But, you know, Andrew had his finger on the remote the whole time, and Di just freaks out and starts squawking and screaming, and Andrew, Andrew pretends like he doesn't know how to fast-forward. So Which button? I don't yeah, know. So he'll let the boob hang on the screen for an extra period of time. Anyways, uh, I love that kid. So... Uh, so I was like, hey, guys, why don't we start watching Homeland, like one episode of Homeland every night? What I didn't realize is how quickly the modern day shows cut scenes. Right. Compared and then, to, yeah. Just 2011, man. That's like 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And Andrew's like, and Chloe, they're like, holy crap, these scenes go on forever. I'm like, you think that's something? Watch something from the 90s or the right. 80s. Yeah. yeah. But it was the ability to concentrate. Right. They, they, and Andrew, I saw him, he just started reaching for his phone. I'm like, boy, put that down. He's like, but the scene's going on forever. I'm like, just pay attention. And the That's ability to, con yeah, yeah it's, we, it changes your that. brain, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, again, it's not, doesn't make anyone bad. It's just, the, it's the conditioning. But the, the problem with the unconditioned mind that can't concentrate is it's very hard to, to accomplish really worthy things if you can't focus on them for long enough to get them done. Yeah. And important mm -hmm. work in the world, important work of building your business and, and, and changing the world requires deep, deep concentration. So this, this skill 
not only does it give you the capacity to lead you inward to discover the truth about yourself, but also gives you the capacity to radically focus outwardly to accomplish what you want once you figure out what the inside sure. tells you what that is. And so, so they work together hand in the glove. And concentration is the bridge between being a distracted individual, just kind of like following the drummer or the, the commercial story or whatever, the political story, whatever story is mm -hmm. tr trying to influence you and take you away from being a fully autonomous human being to being a robot. Concentration then allows you to look at all that and say, no, 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 but also look inward, turn the flashlight inward and say, yes, yes. that's what I am and that's what I want to bring to the world. But if you try to go, and this is why mindfulness meditation is so hard for people is because, you know, when I said just sit and quiet your mind, I was kind of like being only partly serious because first you've got to concentrate your mind and then you can quiet your mind, mm. right? And so when I say sit and do nothing, what I really mean is sit and just breathe, breathe, just breathe. But that seems like doing nothing for most people, but it's the most profound thing you could do. True. Just breathe. And then over time, this takes a while for some people, depending upon, you know, like if they got a lot of physical training and they've learned, you know, some concentration skills, then maybe two to three months, they're ready to move on. If their mind is, they get it. They, they get all the calming effect, the de-stressing effect, the arousal control effect of the breath. Plus, their mind gets much more concentrated and less distracted. Mm. Then we can go into the mindful awareness where now we kind of let your, um, take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit so you're still breathing, you're still aware of the box, but then you, you create this metacognitive distance between your, you and your thoughts and emotions. What's the value in that? Well, if you begin to see- Metacognitive distance? Metacognitive, so it's almost like you imagine your brain is a hard drive. Yeah. It's like splitting it into two. One of you is watching and the other you is thinking and behaving and having emotions and whatnot. And so the watcher is always watching and always evaluating. Hey, how'd that go? Is this really serving me anymore? There's a belief system in this that, you know, I need to validate. Does that, is that my belief system or am I parroting my parents, you know, mm. or some religion or something? And so this metacognitive shift puts you kind of in the driver's seat. But it's still, Bedros, it's still from... I mean, how do I say this? Well, it's still from mind. It's still from kind of thinking mind. But one way to look at this is more like right brain looking at left brain. Sure. Right brain is about context. Like what's the context of what's going on here? Left brain is linear. Do this, cause, effect, rational. Mm -hmm. But most people are stuck in rational. That's how they think. That's how we're taught in schools. Right. That's, that's how we're conditioned. Everything. That's how we're conditioned. So the practice of concentration and also things like bilateral movement, alternate nostril breathing, helps you open up that right brain. And then that's where you started. You can start to seat your awareness in there and take perspective on the thinker. Right. This is incredibly valuable because you're looking for the big patterns that aren't serving you. One of the big patterns that didn't serve me was the whole choice that I'd chosen to take in my life. Now, there's no bigger pattern. Than that. Right. That was a big deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. And I, when I had that metacognitive shift and I'm looking at all the decisions I made and everything and I'm thinking and I'm feeling into that, I'm like, that's not right for me. Then I had to ask, well, if not that, then what? what? And this led me to the third phase. Now, this came upon me quite by surprise because here I'm doing concentration training 
and I'm doing what I, you know, what I now call mindful awareness. And I'm after every training session, I'm journaling and I wake up in the morning and I do my own version of this for 20 minutes every morning and I'm making great progress. And I found after about a year of training that somewhere during my meditation sessions, not every time, but some time when, you know, stunned in the, the, you know, the stars and Venus was in retrograde and sure, everything so aligned, everything aligned right. perfectly. I would literally just disappear into some, you know, place of unknowingness. Right? As in like an... I would lose my sense of time. Okay. I would lose my sense of self. I would forget who I was. Would you have like an out-of-body experience? Is that, no, no, not so much like I wasn't floating anywhere. I wasn't yeah. like traveling to Armenia and checking out, you know. The goats. The, the goats. goats. They only be goats, man. <laughs> Nothing else. Borat. No, yeah. no it's a different country. Yeah. Close. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many jokes I want to crack, but so many of my Armenian followers are going to bust my balls about it, so I'm just not going to crack it. I did see the picture, though. <laughs> right. Right, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> so this is what I mean. This guy comes to my house the first time. We're eating steak and we're just belly laughing like this the whole time. All right, so let's move so, on. Third phase, yeah, man. Well, Third phase. It wasn't as mystical as I've tried. You know, maybe you make it out to be. Like I wasn't levitating or anything like that. Yeah. But I would just. Well, like, when you forget who you are. But, yeah, I would just forget everything, and then, and so I, you know, at first I thought, did I just fall asleep? And I was like, no, I wasn't sleeping. Because I did that early on. Right. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> I was not sleeping. But I would, when I would come out of these places, at first, you know, it wasn't always clear to me, but I would bring something back, uh -huh. like a gift. And the gift was a sense of knowingness that I, I now call direct perception. And that direct perception is like, coming from your spirit or it's coming from some source that you don't know that you know your higher self yeah your higher so self. we call that i call that the witnessing self so so you have the process is learn how to concentrate your mind turn that flashlight inward create this metacognitive split which is right brain looking at your left brain keep training keep training keep training boom you drop even out of right brain and now you're just in whole mind where your mind is not your body, it's not up here, it's all mm -hmm. around you, and information is passing freely. And your spiritual side, your spirit self, your witness, your higher self, is able to be heard. And that's where really the deepest conversations with ourselves that's, take place. That's where they take is place. what I found. Right, right. And so you can do this in a number of ways, like you know, through prayer, having conversation with your higher self, with your spiritual self, or with an intermediary, you know, like Jesus or, or God or whatever you want to call it, that's a powerful way to do it. But if you're, if you're really distracted and if your mind is cluttered and if you're, if you're asking from ego because you want something in return, there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't really work very well. But if you open your heart and you sit in silence and in prayer, which is no different than meditation, it's just a different form of meditation, and you connect to that aspect of yourself, you get answers. But you have to also be willing to listen to those answers and to be still enough to hear them. Because they don't come like in thunderous claps, you know, like you right. see in the movies, you know, yeah, where yeah, yeah. someone speaks or whispers in your ear. It's, it's a sense of knowingness. Or it's an image that pops in your head. And so I was getting, I was getting imagery and a sense of knowingness that I was meant to be a warrior, not a CPA. I'm not saying there aren't warrior CPAs. There certainly are, but it wasn't my path. Right. I was meant to be a warrior doing kind of gritty stuff and leading individuals in really challenging situations. 
I had never heard of the Navy SEALs. But as soon as I started to get that imagery, that, that sensation, that feeling, and I was juxtaposing it about that, guess what happened? Synchronicity. So one night I'm walking home from work and I pass this Navy recruiting office and there's this big poster on the window and it says, be someone special across the top. And it's got pictures of Navy SEALs doing really cool Yeah. And I was just like transfixed. I'm like, that's it. That's like when the universe speaks to you, right? The universe right? is speaking to me like, that's it. You know, and it's hilarious. You, you, you walk and you're like, hey. Yeah, well, they out. were close, but okay. I had to go back, you Got know. It. And yeah. I went to the, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to have an MBA, CPA. You know, I'm not going to quit that. I'll finish all that. Let me, you know, my mind is back into rational mode. And I go in there and the, and the um, I go in the recruiter's office and it's an enlisted recruiter. And they're like, sign here. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about this? <laughs> Let's just talk about this. <laughs> First off, I have a couple questions. <laughs> yeah. Can I see the movie about the SEALs? <laughs> right. oh, oh, you don't want to be a SEAL. What am I signing? First, you go in the Navy, and then you volunteer for the SEALs. I'm like, that sounds a little sketchy to me. You know, I'm not no. sure I want to risk that. Is that the route they were trying to take you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> go spend some time on a boat. Nowadays, right, exactly. Nowadays, you can actually go straight into the right. SEALs. And they said, those guys are crazy anyways. You know, they're much snake eaters. You know, obviously, these recruiters had had some, you know, experiences with SEALs. Sure. And there weren't that many SEALs back then. You know, there were like five or 600. And they're still secret, and they weren't writing books. Like right, today, right, right. You know what I mean? And so I was like, well, you know, I got a master's degree coming, and I think I'll go talk to the officers. And I'm like, oh, man, you're going to blow it. Man, those guys are a bunch of cake eaters. You do not want to be an officer. And uh -huh. I'm like, okay, well, let me talk to them at least. So I go to the officer's recruiter, and Nick Philippone's guy, super good guy, and he's like, hmm, why do you want to be a SEAL? <laughs> I said, do you know anything about them? I said, Nope, but I want to learn. I see the poster. I want to be someone special. I want to be someone special. Because <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> right, yeah. Put a lot of thought into this. And he's like, I don't know, man. He goes, you don't have, you know, you know, you probably have a better chance of becoming an astronaut. Like statistically, they take one or two guys from the civilian world every year because most of them come from the Naval Academy. Officers, right? right? They take 20 guys a year. Yeah. And I was like, well, I want to try. I don't want to try. I said, I want to do this. I, I think this is right for me. So he's okay. So we put in an application and I kept training, I kept training, I kept training and I added visualization to my practice because I had a really powerful experience with visualization when I was in college. My swim coach was an early pioneer, like really working us with visualization. I had a really cool experience and I said, well, visualization is something that I could use to practice becoming a SEAL. How did you use that? So here's my prize. So this is like, I call this winning in the mind before you step foot in the battlefield, which comes from a Sun Tzu quote. Yeah. Victorious warriors win in their mind, then go to war. Everyone else goes to war hoping to win, something yeah. like that. So my morning routine then, is, uh, it's evolved a bit, but it's not that different. I wake up and do a little movement, drink my water, get ready to go, you know, work out the kinks, open up the chakras, so to speak. Sure. Then I sit and I begin my box breathing practice. First is just arousal control. Just breathe, just calm down, clear the mind, settle everything down, get into that kind of high alpha, low beta state. Then I move into uh, concentration, like deep concentration, but you know, I used to do this for like 15, 20 minutes. Now I just need a few rounds to really sharpen my mind. And then I go into that meditation, that cognitive, uh, not cognitive, but the mindful awareness where I'm looking for any patterns, anything come up, is there anything that need to process, you know, how things gone? 
What's going on? You're really checking in with yourself, aren't That's you? That's right, yeah. You're checking, checking in with, with, the, check with all aspects. <clears throat> checking with the cognition. What's going on in my mind? Anything, what's, what are the, you know, any little roadblocks, any challenges, what's going on in my day? You know, what's trailing me? What's going to be, what are my issues that are floating mm -hmm. around in my brain? Okay, if everything's good, then I kind of shut that down. Also scan the emotional body, all good. And then that, once I'm done with that, and so now I'm like 10 to 15 minutes into it, I literally just let go of everything. All efforting. It's almost like you're done with the work. I put the kettlebell down and you're just like, you know how in CrossFit they used to lay in that yeah, little yeah. sweat angel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which in Seal Fit we were like, dude, you lay down on the floor, someone's going to kill you. You know what I mean? As soon as you're done working out, you get up and you, you look around and you're ready for the next right. fire fight, right? You yeah. don't ever lay down. But it feels like that, where you just let go of all efforting. Hmm. And you just sit and softly breathe and you almost shift it where you feel like you're being breathed by the universe instead of your... I gotta breathe. Just let it all soften. Release the grip on the rational mind. Release the grip on, and and then let the you know just let spirit take over. Almost mm -hmm. drop your awareness into your heart and just let spirit take over. And so what you're doing here is listening. You're listening for spirit's guidance. And and if you have any questions, any unanswered questions or thing that's troubling you, that's a good time to like ask. How do you ask and, that question? Well, you just softly ask it to yourself. The, the more you can just allow it to be the question as opposed to like get back into your rational mind and think it or like, you know, read your journal. This is the question. So it's something that you've been pondering. Hmm. Right. So just sit with the question, sit with yourself and see what comes up. Maxwell Maltz calls this the theater of the mind. Before I had learned meditation and, and really asking the higher self in the book Psycho-Cybernetics. I remember that, yeah. Maxwell Maltz calls it the theater of the mind where you have a problem, a challenge, a conundrum, and you kind of think about it as you, he would say, as you go to sleep and your subconscious mind is processing sure, it. that's right really the more effective way as we know now is you could create that state you don't have to do it the night before right. and then fall asleep you yeah, can you create, can direct the process you can right? direct the process yeah. well said exactly go on that's cool well you know honestly while you said that really this is an important distinction now one of the most powerful tools that i do when i do this because i've had a lot of practice is i have a conversation with my higher self so instead of just asking I actually have a mental representation of my higher self and I have a conversation and then I allow my higher self to answer myself. And it's extremely powerful. Like mm -hmm. the answers that I get from my higher self are very different than what my rational mind yeah. thought before I asked that question. So anyways, we're, I'm, I'm trying to get to your question because this is the way my brain works. You know, sometimes it's, it's kind of a, you know, circuitous <laughs> route. <laughs> yeah. We're getting there. We're good. We're good. Keep going. So, Fascinating journey. Once here. I get done with all this, this is kind of the meditation phase. And then I go into the visualization, visualization which yeah. I consider different. Visualization is, can be used in meditation. It's more appropriate to say it's like a concentration tool. Yeah. Like practice visualization to get better at a skill is a concentration exercise. Whereas when I talk about meditation with my clients, it's like either mindful awareness, which is what mindfulness meditation sort of is, but you know, we're very specific about how to do that or pure meditation, which is where you're asking for insight and you're just looking for 
answers. Mm. But visualization is something different. Now, visualization, there's, there's the practice sports piece that a lot of people know about. Very, very effective. Everybody should be doing it for performance, right? Then there's the, the using imagery connected to memory to revisit past experiences and recontextualize them, repower them with new emotions to let go of regrets and let go of negative emotional baggage that's holding you back. Because everything from your so-called past that has a negative attachment to it or negative association or negative memory is slowing you down. It's taking energy away from your ability to be in the present and to, to be productive. Sure, because anything from your past that has a negative association or that you've anchored in a negative way becomes modern day a limiting belief. That's right. A limiting belief or a limiting feeling, which then triggers a limiting belief. So how do you go back in visual visualization? Is there an example that you can give me where you can go back and sure. kind of redefine that experience? Yeah, yeah. So we, we call it recapitulation. Recapitulation. So recap in fact, um, that term I got from that, I love studying just what did the ancients do? Because there's so much wisdom there. Yeah. They weren't distracted with the internet and Facebook mm -hmm. back then, you know, thousands of years ago. And so I've learned from the yogis and the ancient martial artists and the Tibetan Buddhists and the ancient Toltecs and the Apache. And I've studied all these, fascinated by them. <clears throat> the Toltecs had a process called recapitulation that they required their young budding warriors to be to go through. So until you weren't admitted into the warrior club. Sure. <laughs> so maybe, maybe back then it was like 16 years old you had to do this or so. Maybe even younger, I don't know. But the process was you go out in the wilderness alone. It's like their year-long kind of like trial yeah. by fire. If you don't make it back, oh well, the tiger got you. But if you make it back and you've done this recapitulation, welcome to the club. Almost a rite of passage. It's a rite of passions, right. Something you know a bit about. So this rite of passions was powerful. Year long, year long, alone in the woods, and the one thing that they had to do besides survive and hone their skills was they had to recapitulate their life day by day back to birth. And that meant every single day they had to, let's say, I have to start, okay, I go back to yesterday in my mind and I relive it from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed. And in my memory, I, I go through every single event and I ask, was I honorable in this moment? Did, did I come from a place of love or was it fear? Mm. What could have I done different or better to be a better person in that moment? Sure. And anytime you come up upon an action that you took or a thought you had or, or a way that you were in the world yesterday, you pause and you say, if the answer is I could have done better or I wish I hadn't done that or I have a regret around that, you pause and you redo it. You see yourself doing it differently. And then you inject new energy into that and the positive belief. And then you see, go back and see the way you did it and you, and you like gray it out and you make it small, inconsequential in your mind's eye. And then you uh, attach forgiveness and acceptance to the, as meaning to that instead of regret. You see, so that's an example. Now, in our lives, I, I don't, like with my clients, I don't ask them to recapitulate every day back to birth. You know what I mean? Sure. They'd fire me in a moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, whatever, you freak. You can't do that. It's a hell but of a I client say, retention tool, though, huh? Part of the, the linking of mindful awareness is you can, you know, these patterns that show up, yeah. they're 
They have their roots way, way back, even epigenetic. And so what we do is we go back and we're like, oh, wow, you know, let's, let's use uh, one in my life, you know, that I've been very open about in the last couple of years. I, you know, I tried to be the perfect person all the way, you know, up, and then I was like, screw that, was alcohol, right? Because alcohol ran through both of my families for multiple generations and mm -hmm. it was not pretty, you know. And so it, it tripped me a little up in the Navy where I had to step back and, you know, metacognitively look at that and go, oh, wow, that could be a problem, you know, so get that under control. And um, so let's say there's an issue with alcohol. So you go back and you're like, what? but you're, igno you're ignoring it, right? Because yeah. you're like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a high performer. You know, how many, how many high performers are there oh, in the dude. world who, are, who overdo with alcohol, who overdo it with other stimulants? Drugs, drugs sex, and, food. Yeah. Yeah, it's called yeah. being human. Yeah. So you go back and you're like, wow, you know what? I, I, I really did something I didn't like, didn't appreciate or hurt somebody. And what was the alcohol? I, I overdid it and I was drunk at the time. And then there's, oh yeah, there it was again. And then it happened again, a whole, a whole string of these situations. Hmm, what's the cause of that? Instead of beating yourself up and just saying, I would go to AA or, or trying this boom and bust. If I quit drinking and then all of a sudden I'm all back in, never gonna work. Yeah. It's, Deprivation doesn't work because it brings negative attention to that, the problem, and that just makes it worse. So one of the profound answers is to go trace this all the way back to the root cause. And the root cause is going to be something like your father was an alcoholic, didn't give you the love you needed. He was using alcohol to cover up a wound from the love that he didn't get. Sure. And so then you start using alcohol to cover up the love that you're not getting, the wound from the love that you're not getting. And to be able to be aware of that and to acknowledge that and then to begin to heal that. And you can do it alone. It's just hard work. It's better to do it with a therapist or with someone who's qualified yeah. in that, yeah. that type of deep work. But just going down this path and beginning the practice of using imagery in this, in this path of recapitulation. And then you, what you do is you go further and further into your past, just like the Toltecs did, but it might take you years. Now, that's different than winning in your mind. It's sort of the same, but that's like winning, your, winning over your past. It's winning your past right, instead which, of what you're about to right, do. Right, which brings you more presence and more energy and, and you're not dragging those kettlebells of regret. Yeah. into your next action. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great metaphor. So yeah. now you've clearing, you're clearing that up and then simultaneously the wind in your mind drill. So like the recapitulation, the way I do this is that's an evening practice starting with the day, you know, how'd I do today? And eventually it, here's the beautiful thing. Like Bedros, if you can clear up all the crap from your past, then you've got a clean slate every day. All you got to worry about is how'd I do today? And you're always going to screw up. Nobody's perfect. So then you just have to go back and like, how do you, oh, look, I did pretty good. Then, boy, I could have done better there. Recapitulate, clean it up, make amends if you have to. And that could be like, oh, man, let me just call this person, send a text, or I'm going to make a note. And tomorrow I'm going to call Bedros and say, dude, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't bring more steaks up. <laughs> I didn't know there were that precious. <laughs> you had to go pull some out of your stash. <laughs> good thing I have a backup fridge. <laughs> exactly. That was that fun night. That was, awesome. that was just so fun. So, so that's the beautiful thing about recapitulation. Then it becomes in real time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to come back to visualization for winning your mind. But Nakamura taught me something profound, many profound things. But one of them was this, because he used to have like little Zen lectures 
after the Zen, and he had a chalkboard, and you know, he'd sit there and just write his kanji, like squeak, squeak, yeah, yeah. squeak, and we're sitting there watching, you know, like, squeak, and then he would write what it meant underneath, and one of them, you know, was one day, one lifetime. What does that mean? Well, he explained it to us. He said that a warrior lives every day with the mindset that A, it could be his last or hers, and so every action had to be very, very thought through and precise. And, and I don't mean like go out and have a back of an alien because it's your last day. No, it's like every thought, every word, everything on my to-do list, this is the most, it's important. Because if this is my last day, then I want to make sure I do the right things mm. and I do things right. Really cool. Because then that orientation has really helped me be like, okay, what's the most important thing today? I got to spend my time training and I got to spend my time with my wife and my kid because if this is the last day and I don't do that, yeah. I'm screwed. Wow. Right? And I want to spend time with my, my spirit and you know, my faith. Do all that? Good. Now I can move on. What's the most important thing for me in my business? Well, I want to work on my relationships and build my team so that they can accomplish the mission and together everyone's clear about the mission. Well, that's my most important job as a CEO, isn't it? It's mm. not this endless task list of doing, it's the being stuff in the team. Yes. One, maybe two or three important tasks there, and then I can start to work on the other stuff that's, that's urgent but not as important, right? So that's really powerful, you know? And that's one day, one life. Oh, the other thing, so that's the aspect. If, if today's your last, make it count. The other piece of this was kind of the flip side of that is every day, has the opportunity for a lifetime of learning. Because there's nothing you're going to find tomorrow that doesn't exist today. Mm. There's nothing you're going to find three years from now that doesn't exist today, or 10 years from now, or 100 years from now. Everything you need, everything there is known to humanity and the entire cosmos exists today. Mm. So be present and look for it. Don't always be here or there or here or there and miss the truth of what is right in front of you. It's profound. Which is today. Now, which is moment. right now, yeah. right? Like this. So, so there's this evening ritual which provides the bookend in the evening where you look back and make sure today was really good. And you clean up any regrets and then you go, then you go to bed and ask those questions, you know, like cybernetics. So use that time wisely, your sleep cycle. But then in the morning, let's say next morning, that's the bookend to start the day. Yep. So in the start, we win in our mind before we step foot in the battlefield. At the end of the day, we've already been to battle. We recapitulate and we learn and grow. My first experience with recapitulation was with Dr. Kevin Downing. He's out here in Brea about nine years ago. I was having these severe anxiety attacks. It just came out of nowhere. And I thought... Well, they put me on Xanax, and after about two, three weeks of that, I was like, listen, it's, this thing's got me numb. I'm drooling on the side of my mouth. Like, I've got no creativity. Like, it, it just numbed me. Yeah, okay, I didn't Were have... you on Xanax when I came over that night? <laughs> That's what the drool was. was. Drool. <laughs> I was wondering why you keep mopping was, up after I me. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> so, after about three weeks of Xanax, I, uh, I went to the doctor. And I'm like, hey, listen, this, this isn't going to work. I've got no creativity in work. I've got no desire, ambition. Sucking the life out of Yeah, you. yeah. He goes, well, you might have to do what most men don't want to do. I'm like, what's that? He goes, we'll work with a the therapist. I was like, <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. The pucker factor set in, right? And 
but he referred me to someone who was horrible, but thankfully, I, through my research, I found Dr. Kevin Downing. And where I thought we were gonna work on my source of anxiety and panic attacks, we worked through that in four weeks, done, check. On the fourth week, as I'm like, hey, doc, see you later, well, I'm done, appreciate the help. <laughs> you know, he taught me a few things like action alleviates anxiety, and anxiety is anticipation of future pain, mm -hmm. and halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired is gonna trigger my anxiety. Um, we really worked together on that stuff. And about on week four, I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I'm good. I feel good. I feel good. He goes, well, one thing before you leave, Bedros, uh, how was your relationship with your family, with your parents growing up? I'm like, oh, it was, it was fine. You know, coming from a communist family, you know, my dad slapped me around here and there. But what happened to me in Armenia was even worse than the slaps that he gave me, right? Like the beatings he gave me. For some reason, in four weeks, I'd, he had built such rapport with me that I forfeited that information. And he goes, what happened? And I just bawled and started crying. That <laughs> led the next 16 months, mm -hmm. every Monday in therapy session with him, talking through what happened to me between the ages of four and six, where I was molested by two older boys. Mm -hmm. And one of the most profound things he had me do was to write a letter to myself, to That's that younger awesome. self. Yeah. 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 And he gave me the first sentence, which was, uh, in Armenia, between the ages of four and six, I was molested by two older boys. But today I'm dot, 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 dot. And it gave me the opportunity to go back, as he mm -hmm. taught me, and to reframe that's what happened. Yeah, that's recapitulation. Exactly. Beautiful process. And he put words to my feelings. And, the, and writing letters is just an express, one way to express. You uh -huh. can express with letters, uh, written letters. You can express it verbally. You can express physically, like getting it out of your system. Yeah. I went to a, a training called the Hoffman Process, which is all about recapitulating early childhood trauma. Yeah. It sounds like this guy was yeah, yeah. trained in the same process. It, it seems like, man, I got to tell you, it was so neat. And, and the thing that you told me that just, just stuck with me, you said all of a sudden it becomes gray or it becomes small. Yeah. And what he... Decharges it. Yes. Yeah. What he helped me identify was I was walking around and feeling shame, rage, and confusion. Shame, like I'm so embarrassed this happened to me. No one can know. Uh, confusion, like, did I invite this right. to happen in yeah, some why, way? Why, why me? Why me? And then, of course, the rage, like... How could this happen to me? Why didn't anyone stop it? Didn't anyone know? And so he, the way he described it, he goes, in your life, there's these three big mountains that you're always dealing with, shame, rage, and confusion. And let's just make them into little bumps yeah. in your timeline of life, which is really what you said. Let's make them gray and go away. Right. And it was the most liberating feeling. And I use that process now, I guess, which is now journaling and writing to myself and recapitulating mm -hmm. things and reframing past whatever, regrets, failures, into wins, which then gives me more competency and confidence, which creates that competence, confidence mm -hmm. loop to have more wins moving forward. Absolutely. It's such a powerful thing, man. And, yeah. you know, these are the things like we always talk about on the show, uh, marketing funnels and best ads to run and, and how to, you know, increase the cart value of a purchase. <laughs> this is a true thing that really creates That's that. Right impact of growth, that, that massive growth. So let's finish this conversation off with one thing, which is leading a team. And it doesn't matter if it's a fire team of SEALs or leading in business, you've done both. What are some two or three great elements of leadership that everyone yeah. should adopt? Yeah, well, let's, let's link it to everything we just talked about, especially what you just said. We have, if we have a big mission in life, we have to be the person worthy of fulfilling that mission. And if you prove to your team that you're worthy 
of bringing a big mission to the table, a big vision, a big mission, mm -hmm. man, they'll follow you anywhere. Hmm. Now, what does it mean to be worthy? It means to be doing the work like this. It, it doesn't mean I'm bedroom, I'm awesome, I'm the fit, finer fit body boot camp, one of the fastest growing you know, franchise in the world, and here's my vision. We're going to 10x it, and you guys are all going to follow me. We're going to be, we're going to kick ass. You're going to earn a ton of money. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Right. Right? No, it's like, hey, guys, what do you think? You know, by the way, you're not going to believe what just happened to me yesterday. This was profound. Right? Like, I totally screwed up, but, you know, there was a real silver lining to that because the person that I hurt, you know, was... You know, when I apologize, I learned that they were this person. And guess what? They're, they're going to mm. be another franchisee or something like that. Yeah. I mean, like transparency. Yeah. But, you know, careful transparency. I'm not saying being, you know, like all tears every time you show up every day. Because, you know, your team will start to get a little tired of that. Sure. But, they're going to think you're hysterical. <laughs> yeah. To, you need the emotional control, but you also need the emotional awareness. And the, um, I hate the term vulnerability, but that's a, a good term, and Brene Brown has done great work. So I use the term authenticity. The seals get a little prickly when you say be vulnerable. No, be authentic. They didn't, they didn't teach you that in seal training, vulnerability? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a vulnerability classroom over there, guys. Uh, how come nobody's in it? <laughs> yeah, why is it empty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so authentic. This is like the, the biggest, most important tip for leaders is your team sees through your bullshit. Like we're inside the bottle, we don't read our own label. We show up with our perfectionism and our righteousness and thinking we have to all, mm. that we have all the answers or that we have to have all the answers or that our way is the highway. And your team is sitting back and every time you come with one of those little judgment bombs, it just chips away at their engagement and it chips away at their enthusiasm. And then they're just doing the job for the money. And, and you look at studies on engagement, you know, it's like, 40% of most people's workforce or so are yeah. disengaged. Disengaged. Yeah. And so the best way to counter that is to be worthy of the mission, of the big vision. And so that means to show up as a real person. Take the masks off. Show up as part of the team. You know, to me, like in the SEALs, we say you're, everyone's a leader and everyone's a follower and it's always changing. It's like a, it's like a furball. You never know. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm accountable, as an owner, you're accountable. And the buck will stop with you. And if things don't work out, it's your problem. And you take responsibility, even if it's very clear that Joey over there screwed up. You're like, it's on me. But when I show up with the team, none of that matters. Sometimes I'm leading things if I'm the right person to lead it. And sometimes Joey or Sally over there is leading something, either with their expertise because they got the most energy or they got the best idea. And everyone's always leading and following, leading and following, leading and following. And so it becomes this really dynamic mix with all sorts of energizing ideas popping mm. up from the strangest quarters. And the team that operates at, at that level has a geometric, we call 20x performance over the average team that is just coming and doing a job and you know more thinking linearly, like check, 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 process, right. task, process, task. The elite teams where the leader has taken off the mass and says, let's figure this out together. Um, let's all sync up and make sure that we're all resonating the same wa wavelength, both, both in the imagery of what we know where we're going to go and what the uh, boundaries for success look like and what we're boundaries for what we're, how we're supposed to behave and not behave and then go autonomously conquer this thing. Mm -hmm. Not top down, 
not top-down data-driven. I mean, you don't want the data, but I'm saying it's not the hierarchy right. world anymore. It's like a hive mind. The, le the team is the, the new leader. The hive mind. The team is the new leader these days. Yeah. And which really circles back to the, the beginning of our conversation here, because the only way the guy or gal at the top, who the buck stops with, is going to be, using your favorite word, vulnerable or authentic enough to have the confidence to go, hey, listen, I realize that I may not be the subject matter expert right. here, so I'm going to be a follower right. as Sally leads. The only way that guy or gal is going to get there is by doing all of that self doing the work. work. That's right. In That's the beginning. Right. So you, you brought us in a perfect circle, and I appreciate you for that. Yeah. Um, if, if our viewers and listeners want to connect with you, reach out to you, you have so many great books, where is the place to start? Um, my website is markdevine.com, spelled D-I-V-I-N-E. And our training, uh, we have two training companies. One is Unbeatable Mind, which is really the scope of what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. Like this full integrated development. We call it vertical development for leaders and teams, and we train leaders with their teams. It's pretty unique. And vertic by vertical development, I mean we're evolving character and conscious doing this kind of work. And so that then you can go do the work of the work, you know, your business work. Yeah. That's unbeatablemind.com. And then SealFit is our fitness mental physical training business that a lot of people have heard about. And I'm really taking a new whack at that to, to mm -hmm. rebuild it for that's a of, legendary program man. For, rebuild it for the current generation because it's about 15 years old now and um, Instagram at real mark divine people love uh, either two of books of mine are a good place to start one is unbeatable mind which is my self-published book right? I think that's the one to start with. yeah that's and I'm what, what's the other one uh, the way of the seal oh, also a great book which is more of a Navy seal take on yeah. get you know kick assery yeah which actually I listened to Way of the Seal first many years ago, uh, well, a couple years ago, and then Unbeatable Mind just followed. Wait, that was self-published, Unbeatable yeah, Mind? I didn't yeah. know that. Really. And I'm, I'm turning that into a series. I'm working on um, the sequel to that, and it's called Uncommon. So it'll be kind of like, I wrote Unbeatable Mind in 2012, and so it actually started during the pandemic. I wish it was calling it Unbeal Mind Pandemic Edition. Yeah. And then I realized that I've changed so much since 2012 yeah. that it was going to be an entirely new look, a new book. So Uncommon will come out later this year, I hope, or early next year. Well, listen, thank you for spending time with us on the show and really pouring into our audience. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Honor. Guys and gals, here's what I want you to do as you're watching or listening to this episode. I want you to take a screenshot and be sure to tag Mark Devine and myself on it as you share it in your stories. And of course, if you got value from this episode, and I know you did, please be sure to go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and I would greatly appreciate it. And as always, don't forget to tell your mama. We'll see you later. <laughs>